Round 11 continued the NRL tradition of providing frills and spills. There were several key injuries to Origin hopefuls as the door opened for potential replacements. AJ and Reese will recap a gigantic week of the NRL season, which included just about everything. This is the League Scenes look at Round 11 of the NRL season. One, two, the league scenes look at round 11 of the NRL season. I'm AJ Luke Antonio, contributor of the League Unlimited website and the Front Row program. Joining me, as always, is nothing but league contributor Reese Sullivan. And Reese, nice to welcome you back. Oh, it's good to be back. I'm feeling a bit under the weather, but we move, I guess. We soldier on. Yeah, you've had the sick one. Now, I've, this is my second sick one. We're becoming really good at these fluke podcasts. So. Yeah. You do it better than me. We haven't had we you haven't gone off on the tangent cough yet. But it's coming. <laughs> no, for me it's gonna be a sneeze. Watch, it's gonna happen sometime in this podcast. I'm just gonna start sneezing. <laughs> Indeed. On the program today, we're gonna to recap round eleven of the NRL season. Our jam-packed Graham Annesley briefing. There was a lot of comment to come out of this weekend. We're gonna try and simplify that for you a little bit and go and award our prestigious lol cow of the week. But nothing out of the ordinary. Reese, you ready to go? Oh, of course. I'm always ready to go, Mac. All right, let's kick off with Thursday night football, and it was a resounding victory for the Brisbane Broncos, downing the Newcastle Knights 36 points to 12. And it was a tight game for about 65 minutes, it's safe to say. But the Broncos really soldiered through and largely off the back of their young debutant, Ezra Mam. Yeah, um, obviously, no Adam Reynolds for this one. He succumbed to a groin injury he picked up at the back end of the Manly game. Um, and I w- was worried. But at the same time, you know, I've been here. I've been blowing smoke backside all season long on this podcast. We did it earlier on in the year too on the podcast. Yep. And he came into his own the last in the second half. First half, he obviously had that try assist where he passed it. Knights fans will allege off the ground. It um, wasn't. It wasn't off the ground. The ball carrying arm never even got close to touch on the ground. No, it didn't. Um, but he sort of looked like he was sort of distancing himself, letting the game come to him. Second half, he came out and attacked it, obviously. Getting involved in broken down play, that lovely kick inside, which led to that Corey Oates try. Phoenix cross um, on getting left in ice skating. Yep. Um, but also, I think a lot of Ezra Mam's success comes down to how Tamari Martin played. Oh, hasn't he been good at the back this year, considering all things? Yeah, but especially on Thursday, the maturity he showed, he was basically able to come in, take a lot of pressure off Mam and Gamble, just be that lead playmaker. You know, that's what I remember with Penrith. They wanted Tamari Martin to be more of a playmaker. Mm -hmm. And when he wasn't, they decided to try Tyrone May, and that led to him going to the Cowboys. Um, so to now see him come in and be that playmaker, it shows how much over the last few years, obviously with that uh, hiatus because of his injury, and then also in his life, he matured a lot as well. So this is just showing the player he's become 
And realistically, I find it hard now to think that Tessie New, when he's healthy, comes back into the squad. It'll be a massive fight, I think, on Tessie New's hands, considering how well that he's played. But I want to get on a Newcastle. I thought they were competitive, which is a good sign. They were definitely in the contest for 65 minutes. But as soon as that 50-50 obstruction call went against them, they just dropped their heads completely, I thought. Yeah, I think, well, it was a combination of, one, the Knights dropping their heads, obviously, but then also, two, just the Broncos' fitness. Uh, I think it's safe to say Panthers, Broncos, Cowboys, Storm are the four fittest teams in the comp at the moment. Yeah, and, I think, you know, I, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. I think you could throw the yeah. Roosters in there. They look you pretty fit. the Roosters in there. The Sharks are sniffing around there as well. You know, but that's the mark of a big team. And the Broncos, a few years ago, all right, or even last season, 65th minute, you know, you get that try, 20 points to 12. The game's still in the balance there. Because mm-hmm. you know, the Broncos are a team that's going to collapse last 15, 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, Knights can get points in the But instead it was the opposite. Broncos just steamrolled three tries in the last minutes to seal the game. 100%. Uh, Newcastle dealt a seismic blow. Bradman Best's elbow that was, was facing the wrong way. And that is a big blow for the Knights, considering that they're starting to get blokes back. Dan Gagai, I thought, was okay on in his return. Had a dubious no try, but we'll get to that in the briefing. But one player who I did really like, and he's off the bench, set up Caelan Pongish try, Matt Croker. Hasn't he had himself mm. a, a good, solid rookie season so far? Yeah, he's been one of the few bright spots of the night season so far, Croker. Just one of those hidden gems who just appears out of nowhere. I swear Newcastle have them more than any team. They just, you know, get no media recognition. All of a sudden, they just appear on the bench one week and start playing good footy. You know who he reminds me of? Go ahead. Steve Simpson. Just a constant goer. I like that comparison. I, I, think, I do like that comparison, yeah. I think just because the way that he's an unsung hero, similar to the mold of Steve Simpson, probably won't get the recognition he deserves and just constantly hit up the line, make your tackles. That's exactly what Newcastle need. I think he and Leo Thompson have been the finds of the season for the Knights as a whole. And they need, they need to keep building on that on the bench. But one point, we could probably save this for a little bit later. Selwyn Cobbo, of course, another double for him. With the result of Kyle Felt getting injured, does that open up a potential wing spot? It definitely does. And also, I do have some very good news about Broncos player attention as well. Is this um, Herbie? Well, it's Herbie and Selwyn. Oh, you I got have bo- news on Selwyn as well. Okay, so, let's bring it up here. being officially announced today that Herbie has signed a one-year extension. So, he will play through 2023. Yeah. Selwyn one-year extension as well, which will take him to 2024. Now, the big part of that is he wants to stay ahead of Herbie. They, he wants the Broncos to force Herbie out so he can get a crack at either center or fullback. Interesting. Uh, Herbie wants to play fullback as well, but right now he's having to play center on a winning team. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting one now. But yeah, obviously, I don't know if his decision was influenced by Herbie's decision, but definitely interesting because the Broncos were pushing for two years to take it to 2025. Mm-hmm. His manager came back and said, no, we're only looking to go till 2024 at the moment. Um, yeah. So crucially for the Broncos, though, that means that Selwyn Cobbo, Adam Reynolds, and Payne Haas are all off contract in the same year. 
Oh, that that will be but, very interesting. Yeah, if, I mean, if the Broncos are winning, they shouldn't have any issues retaining the three of them. But, but. if they don't, it could be fighting November 1st. Could be, and we all know what happened with the Broncos a few years ago when they had a defining November 1st. Mm. Indeed. Okay, now we need to do a bit of a preamble before we go through this next game. We have had eight tank balls so far this season. This is no ordinary tank ball. This is a super tank ball. When it's 15th against 16th, there is no other way to introduce this than the super tank ball. And, Reese, it's safe to say it had all the ideals of a super tank ball. Oh, seriously. It was absolutely beautiful for rugby league. (laughs) Uh, And I say beautiful in air quotes because it's not the game you would want your kids to watch. But for those who love the game, it was beautiful. It was very beautiful. But to your eye at how bad it's played. Um, you got to give it to Canterbury. After the week they've had, they've lost Michael Potter. Sorry, not Nick Potter. They've lost Trent Barrett. Five of them have succumbed to the flu. Uh, Josh Adokar was ruled out late. Mick Potter taking the reins. To be that close with the West Tigers for considering everything that went on this week, I think it's admirable. Yeah, I agree. Um, look, obviously people expect the Bulldogs to come out and play well because they have that new coach hop. You know, when you fire a coach and bring and you always have a bit of a jump in form. Mm-hmm. Unless you're the Brisbane Broncos bringing in Gentle. Um, <laughs> or the Gold Coast Titans bringing in Gentle. Um, no, no, it's cra- no, no, that one's Craig Hodges for the Titans. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. Um, but, yeah, so obviously the Bulldogs did play pretty well. They were a very depleted side. Um, but I thought Matt Burden was arguably his best game for the Bulldogs. Wasn't he a goal helping them in that comeback? I thought he had a great game. Yeah, he did. Uh, Flanagan, only 18 touches of the footy this week. So, But we compare that with Jackson Hastings. In one half of football, what was the stat? 60 touches? Yep. That, that's insane. And I get that they had the possession to go with it, but it that just shows questions. the difference. It raises questions as to how much Flanagan actually wants to get involved in the attack because, you know, I sat there last week and defended him saying it was part of the coaching, you know, the Bulldog system is designed to have Burton be the predominant ball carrier. But new coach comes in, new system, all of a sudden the ball carrying was still done by Burton and Flanagan had his worst or his least touches of the season. I think too, I think I think he's just putting it a little bit harshly and I say that only because Mick Potter's been in the joint for a week. I don't think I you see drastic at changes. Day, at the end of the day, the first thing I'd do if I was the interim coach of the Bulldogs is go to Flanner and say, hey, mate, we want to get you more involved in the attack. We want to get you touching the footy more, making decisions, not just playing off Burton and Dufty. Um, I get that part of it. leaving the Bulldogs as well at the end of the season. He's off to Warrington. Oh, thank God for that. For the sanity yeah. of this podcast, it's sad because we've done nothing but blag the bloke for the last few weeks. Yeah, but he's uh, the good news is he secured his future. The yeah. even better news is it's not in the NRL. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
The, the Tigers went to sleep at halftime. They had that game by the scruff of the neck, up 18-0, and they let Canterbury back in the game. Was Jackson Hastings' sim been a little bit questionable? I don't think so. I think it's as blatant professional foul as you see. Um, yeah. The Aaron Shop dangerous throw, again, I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt. They have been consistent with the dangerous throw Simbins this season. So I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt with the Aaron Shop one. But one story I want to get to, Farmanu Brown. Uh, he was out of the game, I think, for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And he came back. He was in England. The Roosters picked up the phone and offered him a train and trial. Things didn't quite work out for him at North Sydney, so he went across to Western Suburbs, back in the NRL, and secured a double on Friday night. That is a perfect comeback story for a bloke coming through the 20s because I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, he was debuting at the time of the supplement saga at Cronulla, wasn't he? Yep, that's correct. So his career has spanned eight years, and he has had shocking luck with injuries. Mm, Absolutely shocking. When he came into the league, he was considered the next big thing for the Sharks. I remember vividly the game against the Roosters when they came back from 28-6, to and he was an instrumental part of that. Exactly. Um, He came in at a dark time for Cronulla, and he was supposed to be the shining light. At that time, Townsend was still at the Warriors. Maloney was still at the Roosters. He was supposed to be the guy who would lead the Sharks onwards. Um. Didn't work out at Cronulla. You know, obviously they end up signing Townsend, signing Maloney, going on to win the Premiership 2016. For all money, I thought he was going to rebound at the Bulldogs. You know, for all money, I thought the Bulldogs were going to be the place where he'd resurrect his career. But... Find that potential. How many times have we said that? Whether it's the Bulldogs or the Tigers, a player being able to resurrect their career. I reckon it's at least three times a year across both clubs we say that. Yeah. Throw the Dragons in too, actually. Yeah, throw the Dragons in there as well. <laughs> um, yeah. In and out of the first grade, the Bulldogs, and then the foot injury. Um, just devastating for a player to have that much, you know, setback in an injury. Um, I agree. But then off to England last season, back in Australia. Obviously, like you said, North Sydney. Got full credit to the t- his time at North. He got experience back in the Australian rugby league system without the pressure of having to work his way into a first-grade squad. Yep. Gave him the opportunity to go to suburbs. Now he's with the Tigers. Gets his first game off the bench, and I think he's going to be staying there for a while now. You know, the Tigers have nothing to lose trying to get him back into first grade. I don't think they've got anything to lose either. Um, the performance he had, I don't exactly. see how he could drop him this week. Another bloke who I thought had a good performance, Brent Nader. Um. He was sold. He set up two tries for Kemba Marlowe in the mudslide of Leichhardt's far left corner. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, look, he had a bit of a spat with Matt Dufty after the game. I don't know what it was about, but interesting. Probably about he's bringing the cocaine to the party. <laughs> Unpaid debts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, no, yeah, Nathan played really well. You know, first game with the Tigers. He looked like he fit right in. And I didn't we say... Last week, you know, on Twitter, the Tigers needed that playmaking centre who could get the ball to Marlo or Nofaluma. Yeah, uh, I mean, I 100% agree. Two tries this on debut for Naden. That's not too bad. Exactly, and they are going to get Nofaluma back this week, and there's a good chance Dane Laurie uh, returns as well. So that could be 
a massive boost for the Tigers. But Especially moving on, given they're playing against the team they have beaten before, so yes, yeah, so against South Sydney and Combank. Exactly right. So Parramatta twenty-two defeating Manly twenty, and I have to be honest, I think Manly were the better side. They definitely were. They just got really unlucky with the end of the game. And um, we'll we'll get through it. We'll go through the incident in question, the Tui Polotti high shot later. Um, but for me, Parramatta lacked it a lot through the middle third. And normally we talk about how Parramatta's pack is so dominant and that. But once a side matches, I think the Roosters laid the blueprint down a fortnight ago. If you can compete with Barlow and Campbell-Gillard through the middle, then Parramatta have got nothing. Their attack on the line, bar the try to Penasini, on the goal line was shocking. This is where the regression of Nathan Brown in the last 12 months really hurts the Eels. Oh, what's happened to him? Like, he was dominating the game through the middle third last year, and all of a sudden, I don't know what's happened what's happened over the off-season, but nothing seems to work. Madison is out-and-out much better ball player through the middle third. But Brown would have been that guy who, you know, Manly is sort of pushing the props back. He gets the ball, takes a spirited hit up, swings the ledger back Parramatta's way. Yeah, I'll take you through some of the statistics, if you don't mind, of just some of the Parramatta forwards. Uh, Let's go. Campbell Gillard, 18 of 128. Barlow, 14 for 100. Maddo, 24 for 177. So the metres aren't too bad across the board. Uh, Brown, 11 to 70. Yeah. And then if we flip the ledger and look at Manly, to power, 14 of 119. Oshay Ole, 11 of 96. You know, I'm not letting that go. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Um, but I just got a really feeling about uh, Parramatta. I'm not too sure what it is. But you've got to give it to the way Manly played. And unfortunately for Manly, they've now lost their best player in Tom Trebojevic with a devastating shoulder injury trying to save a try. Yeah, but it's just one of those just terrible situations, you know. And it's not even like, you know, Manly rushed him back into the side. You know, no, you it's that it's a completely different injury. Completely different injury. You know, and he had a completely different injury against Brisbane from mm-hmm. what he had beforehand. Uh, it's just awful luck for Tommy. I think he's easily getting up there as the unluckiest player in the NRL. So, I think Billy Smith and Sam Verrills might have a word. Yeah. That's your Rusabar showing. You know? <laughs> um, where was the stat that you had on Twitter about um, Turbo's game? Where yeah. is it? I've got it here, sorry. Um, so Turbo's first four seasons in the NRL... Three and a half because he didn't make his debut until the last little bit of like 2016. Where is it? Let Let me have a look. Let me have a look. 2015. I know definitely it's the last four games. The last four seasons was 44 games. Yep. And then the first three and a half season before that was 76, I believe. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. 76 games. So it really shows what's happened because I put the numbers in my head. If he had stuck to the um, form in terms of games he was showing at the start of his career, he would have been playing his 150th game this season. Wow. That just shows you how much the injuries have fucked him. Yeah, 
Really? It has to be said. It really does, eh? Um, what do you do at fullback, though? Ruben Garrick's obviously the likely candidate, but do you go rogue and play Cola? I just don't know if defensively, and this is something I heard from Billy Slater as well this week, um, Cola, defensively, is he good enough to play fullback? Is he good enough to organise a defensive line at fullback? I think short-term they'll have to go Garrick. Yeah, I think Garrick is the obvious choice. While they're still, you know, in the hunt for top eight footy, you know, you have to put the more experienced option there, which is Ruben Garrick. If they struggle, if they struggle. They do, it's a struggle, obviously, but there's no clear option. This is what happens when you invest literally uh, a quarter of your salary cap in three players. You just have no depth whatsoever. It's a struggle. It's 100% a struggle for Manly. But now, Turbo being gone, it's got to place more pressure on Daly Cherry Evans. But who else in that side needs to lift with him? Um, I mean, obviously Kieran Foran, first of all. Yeah, Foran's one. You've got to think Jake Trebojevic has got to improve on recent form. Definitely. Uh, I also think this is a great opportunity for Miley to power off the bench. Can I throw so, another name in there? Yeah, I mean... Obviously, to power, he's playing for his future in the NRL. Off contract, yeah. Manly have already said they're not going to bring him back. I've seen good enough signs in Josh Schuster to think that he will be one of the names if we've got to throw in the ring. Yeah, I just definitely. think his general ball playing alone, like that we spoke, I think it was a few weeks ago, about the position where he has to play 5'8 or something. Yeah. Or something like that in his contract. He's got the ball playing, but the thing is, He's put on so much size in this transition to back row. I don't see how it's possible for him to play six. I think the I think another issue is that he's not fully attacking the game. You maybe it's just because he's playing back row and not five eight. Maybe it'll change when he takes the number six jersey. But he at the moment is just drifting in and out of the game. You know. Uh- He'll pop up, get the ball in his hands, make a good play, and then disappear for another two sets. It kind of sounds like a certain fullback who plays for South Sydney. It does. It actually does. You actually make a good point there. It does. Um, outside so, that chip that he intercepted off Moses and spread away, he was unsighted for the rest of the first half. Exactly. So if he's going to play 5-8, he can't be doing that. 100%. You, know, you look at the best 5-8s in the league right now, Munster, Luai, you know, even Tommy Dearden. Walker. Yep, Cody Walker. Sam. When they step up every single time there's a chance to attack. Dylan Brown, same thing. They step yeah. up. If Schuess is not able to make that step up, he simply cannot play 5-8. I agree. I 100% agree. I just I just don't know who else has to step up in that manly side. Obviously, they've got injuries. Jason Saab's still on the way back. Brad Parker's going to be a few, at least another four weeks away from reports. Mm-hmm. The, they're running low on debt. Another one that could step up Solo Kawatu. We've seen when he's doing, done damaging on the edge. Yep, definitely. Um, one guy who I thought had a really good game out of number nine, Lockie Croker. Yeah, he did. He was played really well. Very uh, unlucky to miss a Dalian vote, in my view. Yeah. Sorry, not a Dalian vote, a vote in my game, and for me. He yeah, got a Dalian vote. Yeah, which that's is pleasing. Um, and you'll be pleased to know Jeremy Marshall King's try did not get him a Dalian point. Thank fuck for that. Wendell is smart. <laughs> oh. Ex- until you put him in a Sydney nightclub. <laughs> That's my second cocaine-related joke today. 
You notice a theme here tonight. You notice a theme. <laughs> anyway, Dragons 24 defeating Warriors 18, and it was a great tribute done by the Dragons for Chuck Raper. They did a really good job with that. Um, they retired the number eight jersey, as they did with Norm Proven earlier in the season. And you've got to think, the Dragons always live for these tribute games. I thought they were unlucky not to win against Penrith on the Proven tribute, but they showed enough class, I think, just to... Finesse themselves yeah. over the Warriors, who have been diabolical ever since that 60-point shellacking. Yeah, the Dragons are very proud of their history. Um, obviously, when you win 11 premierships in a row, you kind of have to be. <laughs> so, yeah, they always love to live for these historic games, these mo- monumental games. Um, I mean, even back going back to 2009, remember when they, how much they lifted for that first game back at Jubilee Oval? Oh, mate. So, yeah, I mean... And then, yeah, but onto the game. The Warriors were their own worst enemy. We've said that so many times this season, but the Warriors were their own worst enemy once again. I agree. They just looked so out of place um, in attack and defense. And the Dragons, it was a mature performance from the Dragons. You know, Ben Hunt, as usual, just pick, pick and place. You know, pick where you want the kick to go and just place it there all game. Yeah, and the Warriors are just fumbling and bumbling their way through the 80 minutes. Obviously, Sean Johnson mistakes the kickoff. Uh, then UNA can slips it out over the dead ball line. Adam Thanua Blake's injury for me is a massive concern moving forward. He's their yeah. goer in their forward yeah. pack. And you can make the argument, oh, Ben Murdoch was still is there. But with the loss of Matt Lodge mid-season, which, we, which, was, which came up after last week's program, I think that's m- seismic. For the Warriors losing that Especially with Torhu Harris still not back at peak footy condition. Yeah, I agree there. And also, Josh Curran still on the sideline hurts them massively. It's just the Warriors' injury luck the last few seasons has been diabolical. you got to feel for them. You really do. But at the same time, the team isn't constructed to go anywhere. You know, no. right now, I'll take a look at the Warriors' team on paper. And you don't know whether they're built to play this, you know, fast style of attacking footy that favours the likes of Sean Johnson and Reese Walsh and Dallin Wattini's Lesniak, or if they're playing this more defensive style, which favours the forwards they have, you know, which favours the fact that their halves are sort of weak defensively. Yeah, and um, I'll cover it in a minute. So the Dragons, have they found their fullback or are we jumping the gun once again? Uh. Look, the Dragons haven't had a proper fullback since Darius Boyd. Not uh, even Dugan? Not even Dugan. He was a center. He was a center. They had to chuck a fullback. Interesting. So, is Cody, Cody Ramsey the guy? He's wanted to play fullback since he made his debut for the Dragons. So yeah. I'd say there's a good chance, but it's definitely too early to call. Yeah, I want to see at least three more. Cody Ramsey games the fullback before I turn around and say he's the answer. Yeah, Tyrone Sloan definitely paid the price for his poor courage impersonation. Uh, ben Hunt, uh, obviously state of origin. We're doing a special league scene preview episode later in the week. Origin-wise, do you think he's done enough to claim a utility spot? I'm going to go one step further. I would say if Cherry Evans wasn't the captain, he'd be the Queensland halfback. Ooh, interesting. I think the form he's shown this season on a team that... You know, has its struggles. But the Dragons are only two points out of the top eight. 
That's hard to believe considering the... I mean, that just shows how tight this competition is. It is. And it also shows how much Ben Hunt has carried this side this season. You know, he has been in top form. This is the best form I've seen him since 2015. Obviously, before the grand final. Um, flashbacks are bad. Um, but... <laughs> I was I was waiting for you to load for that sentence. I'm like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'll bite my tongue, bite my tongue. I was expecting you to shoot something there. See, um, I'm but nice. Yeah, so Hunt has been in brilliant form. And like I said, if Trey Evans wasn't the captain, I'd put him in the seven jersey. Uh, but yeah, that 14 jersey, I'm pretty sure his name's already on the back of it. I'd have to agree. It is the 14 jumper, definitely in that case there. But the sad news came out today that Chanel Harris-Tavita will be taking time away from the game at the conclusion of this season. And it's a sad time because he's so young, but a brave decision because he's starting to think about his future and life away from rugby league. Yeah, and it comes down to mental health. Mentally, he was drained playing footy week in, week out. And it just wasn't good for him, you know. So to see players starting to take their mental health into, like seriously in that regard, it's really promising for the future of rugby league because it makes the game more sustainable for the younger generations. It does, and I think it's a very vital point we're making. We wish Chanel all of the very best yeah. here at the league scene. Okay, Cowboys 36 defeating Melbourne 6. Arguably the shock of the round and one that we predicted might happen last week on the program. Jerome Hughes' late withdrawal again sees the demise of the Melbourne Storm, so the question has to be asked. Is Jerome Hughes and Ryan Pappenhausen the key pieces now for the Storm? Well, first From what of we've all, seen, you would argue that Cam Munster's dollar value is dropping a little bit every single last two weeks because all of a sudden you look, teams are looking at it now going, you know, can you lead a team around the park without the genuine game-breakers? Um. I would say Hughes had, has a very understated um, importance to the Melbourne side. He is the foil to Munster, whereas Munster is this attacking brilliance who wants to put on a show every single time he gets his hands on the ball. Hughes is the more calming influence, the more traditional halfback, who even though he has his own attacking instincts, he is able to direct the team around the park. And, you know... The Storm just haven't been able to find that. Obviously, last week, you know, Cooper Johns, diabolical performance at seven. This week, Harry Grant coming into play seven. You know, he was solid. He tried. But, solid, but nothing spectacular. That's what they're missing with Hughes. As for Pappenhausen, you know, Melbourne have a habit of having these amazing fullbacks. Uh, but Nick Meany isn't one of them, unfortunately. Do you think, I might just go off topic here for a second, two heavy losses under Craig Bellamy. We've never seen this happen before. And obviously, all come the theorists about panic buttons and whatnot. So I'm going to ask the question, do we hit the red button and panic for Melbourne at the moment? Or is it a short-term pain for long-term game? I don't think Melbourne should panic until they're staring right down the barrel of elimination in the final series. So let's take a look at their schedule because their schedule is a bit of an interesting one. So next week, obviously, they take on Mel. They take on Manly. They have why next week. I mean, if they played next week, it would have been almost cataclysmic. You take Munster and Grant out of that team, they're screwed. 
Yeah. And then obviously next week they've got the Roosters. That will be an interesting one against the Tricolors. Then they've got Brisbane, Manly again, and then Cronulla. That's their run into Origin three. Yeah. Starting to hit the panic button with that schedule. Uh, it's like you say, it's an interesting schedule. To be fair, or uh, look, I think if they can get out of this schedule, say, you know, let's see, let's see what I would predict them to do. Manly with no turbo, that should be a win. Yep. Sydney, Brisbane, that could go either way. Manly again, and then Sharkies, Raiders, Rabbitohs. Let's say they come out of that with only two losses. Okay. Doesn't matter who they lose to, only two losses. Yeah, on one hand, it'll put them behind the Panthers, like well behind the Panthers for the race of first. It'll probably put them on par with the Cowboys, the Sharks, the Broncos, the Roosters, all those teams. Yeah. But it gives them a foothold for the rest of the season for the easier games coming towards the end. Although, to be fair, their last seven games are Rabbitohs, Warriors, Titans, Panthers, Broncos, Roosters, Eels. Is that Warriors game in New Zealand? Yes, it is. Well, that, that adds another element, I think. It doesn't get much easier for the Storm. I'm going to be 100% yeah. honest. But and I'm going to... I'm actually, be, by then, they should hopefully be as close to full strength as they can get. Obviously, no Christian Welsh this season, which is a blow. Maybe. But... So maybe with Christian. He might be back for the last few weeks. Yeah. Right now, we'll say he's not coming back, but... <laughs> we'll we'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the schedule might be tough, but so are the Melbourne Storm. So hundred percent. So early. That being said, though, the Cowboys' improvement can't be questioned anymore. Nope, and I issue a formal apology to North Queensland Cowboys fans. It's time. It is time. Yeah. Well done. We finally got an apology from him after three weeks ago saying that I refuse to apologise. We finally get him to. <laughs> I can hear the pain in your voice, mate. If the Broncos weren't directly competing with them this season, I'd be on the Cowboys bandwagon. Because <laughs> there's just nothing you can hate about that side, really. Oh, no, there's not. They're just a well-drilled footy team with a bunch of really good players. And, you know... Obviously, I'm still upset with Tom Dearden, the fact that he never played this good at Brisbane. You know, obviously, I'm still happy at the fact that we're paying Adam Reynolds less money than they're paying Chad Townsend. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the Cowboys are playing really good footy. And it's just going to make it even more fun when we get to play them at Queensland County Bank and kick their ass. So. But what about this week's six o'clock game? They're going up against Penrith, the two best defensive sides in the competition going head-to-head against each other. What more do you ask for than that? This is their game. This is that game for the Cowboys to really throw the gauntlet down, to show the NRL what they're made of. If they can beat the Panthers... Mate, but it gets harder, though, because there's no Felden Tamalolo. I understand that, but still, this isn't a one-man team. Exactly. That's the key thing that's been proven this year. Their forward pack pounded Melbourne. And how often often do we say that? Let's be real. Hammer's just going to go straight onto the wing to replace Felt. Stop. And you're probably going to have Connor play lock to replace Tamalolo. That's, can I go even one step further? That's the original addition there for Nanai and Cotter. If they can well, go toe-to-toe with Penrith's pack... And well, let's be Con- real. 
Connor goes lock, it's Connor versus Yo, head to head. In comes oh. New South Wales lock, going up against the guy who wants to lock down a bench spot for Queensland. No bigger stage than that. And it's going to be an emotional night at Penrith because Roy Simmons is returning from his big walk across country New South Wales. Yep. It'll be a big night there. But I think the, the halves combination, you touched on Tommy Dearden earlier. I'm going to go one step further. They're a top five halves combination in the league right now. The way that they're playing is second to none. I just think, even though they've had, you can argue their schedule's been a little bit soft and whatnot, but they went in against Melbourne, and you can argue that they're under strength, but I don't buy it. It's Craig Bellamy. You don't underestimate that team. I was very impressed with Tom Deard and just the fact he wants to take it to the line because you see some halves that are playing second fiddle to one man want to just sit back and let the other bloke take control, like Kyle Flanagan, for example. But when Dearden gets to footy, he goes to the line, always plays that role in which that he wants to do something for his team. AJ, for the sake of my sanity, I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> I forgot I'm it's already had to apologize to them today. I'm not going to gas them up any further. <laughs> um, one man that we kind of don't touch on a lot, uh, Reese Robson. Mm, yes. He has I wouldn't gas this guy up because he is a class football player. He is. He was at the Dragons, wasn't getting a fair go, was behind Karen McInnes, has moved up to North Queensland, hasn't looked back, and has had an amazing stint there. Has to be said. Okay. Saturday night's nightcap saw Penrith 32 defeating the Roosters 12. And it has to be said, Penrith were the dominant side, but I think the scoreline flatters them. The Roosters were competitive but lacked the finesse to win, especially on their own shy line. Um, Reese, I think I've summed up everything I've had to say there. Yeah, I mean, it's perfectly good points. I think the Roosters were a bit too blunt. You know, you have to be creative to break the Panthers down defensively. And mm-hmm. the Roosters kept trying to, you know, just, oh, we'll shift it out to the winger. That'll work. And, and when they got creative, they almost got over the line. You saw those two kicks to Sawali and Tupo nearly pay off. You got to be more creative than that, though. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Especially when the Panthers are going up the other end and putting five tries on you. Yeah, one of them was against a run of play. Crichton's try. It's still a try. Completely against a run of play. Fisher-Harris is eight-point try. I've still got a bit of... Mixed feelings about, but I won't go there. Not yet, anyway, because I've got a bit of a rant in a second about something unrelated. But Joseph yeah. Sawali. He's here. The, the, He's coming, here. the coming of age moment is putting Viliami Kikau flat on his back. Yes. What a shot. That is Sammy Rajraja on Tedesco levels of, wow, that just happened. You mean Sivo? Yeah, sorry, Sivo. Uh, <laughs> wrong Fijian ring, my bad. But, mate, that was awesome. Wasn't it? Hey. It Just was... the sound of the contact. That Where do you expect Kikia to do that to him? Yeah, and it's very, very interesting, I will say. Um, one shout-out I do want to give is to Terrell May, Rooster1209. Re-signed with the Roosters on a three-year deal this week. Made his first grade debut and almost had a try on his first touch. Almost Fletcher Baker levels are perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nothing will ever come close to Fletcher Baker, I reckon. <laughs> we touched on that in an earlier edition of the league scene. That was just absolutely glorious. Um, one man we did give a bake to a few weeks ago was Jerome Lewite. And I think this was his game where he said to the selectors, 
I'm in form and I'm back. Honestly, I thought his place in New South Wales was never in doubt, even though we did have those question marks a few weeks ago. I didn't think I his place he was, was in doubt. New South Wales squad. But I now I think with the way he played, it's not just him walking in. I think Bradfield is going to personally pick him up. Um, I didn't. I never questioned the fact he would be. I just questioned his form in relation to the upcoming state of origin. I'm not, I wasn't doubting his place. I was just saying the form going into origin, I meant. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, your best game is your last one. So he turned up this week, next week, if he turns up again, two top games coming into origin. That's all Brad Fittler needs to know. You know, if there's any doubt, 100%, mate. About, you know, is he the right pick? Is he the right pick? But one point I want to get to is sorry, one point I want to get to quickly Jared Warrior Hargreaves. <sighs> now, as a Bias Roosters fan, he gets very close to the mark. But what I will not condone from my own players is the way you speak to a referee. That is one thing in recent. Very well, but I don't condone. Yeah. Whether it's from my own players or opposition players, that is the one thing I don't condone. And he's not my lol cow of the week because something else has taken it, but he's my mini lol cow. So, Reese, do the honors. Meow, meow. <laughs> I just don't, you know me. I'm not a fan of that. And whilst his point was clear because he didn't get charged for that high shot. On James Fisher Harris, you don't talk yeah. to the referees like that. You 100%. don't. 100%. You gotta you gotta respect the ref. And there's been 161 people that have taken that have officiated in NRL games. You respect every single one of them. But you've got to think of the thousands of junior players out there that think, oh, the NRL players can swear at the referees. Why can't we? Like that's the issue that the NRL has to address. And I can tell you from experience. Referees are walking away from the game because of the abuse they cop, and I'm glad that the NRL is taking this stance. Well, they have to. I mean, at the end of the day, in any other sport, abusing the referees is I know, you know a cardinal sin. So I feel like the NRL has been forced to sort of step in and say, okay, we need to have enough of this. You know, they've limited how much a player can talk to the referee. And now they're cracking down hard on instances where players do cross the line, like JW did on Saturday. And there's no doubting he crossed the line. I think you just can't use the words. Well, you can address the point about, oh, I think I'm being targeted. That's fine. The word choice you use, though, is not fine. Yeah. And that's the problem we've got. The, we don't have a problem with the point he makes because bias roosters in me says, oh, he's got a very valid point. But when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, the referee's just doing their job. It's as simple as that. Unfortunately for you, AJ, every other fan base in the NRL thinks Rory Hargraves is a thug, so you're never going to get um, up on that argument. I know I'm not. Targeted, so. I, just, I just thought I'd raise a point, but hang on. Sam Burgess was targeted, according to South fans. <laughs> He's a thug too. The only player who wasn't a thug was Sam Thardy and Justin Hodges. Hodges, would, Hodges you're going to get a bit of a bark from me, but... <laughs> the way that he dogged you blokes in 2000 then chucked the backflip from the Roosters you'll get an he argument from... for the better coach that's all it was that's fair considering Sticky was an arsehole <laughs> back sticking on the Ricky Stewart thing Canberra 
had a great win over it, had a great win in Dubbo down in South Sydney, 32 points to 12. What a performance by Canberra, first of all. Three straight wins. Jack Wyden returns. The Green Machine are slowly coming back, you have to say. I swear, every single time Canberra started season poorly, they have a bounce. Like, you know, it'll look like they're going down and then all of a sudden they bounce and all of a sudden they're right back up where people expect them to be. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And I think, too, that's got to be combined. And we've got to ask the crucial question, what the fuck is happening at South Sydney? Uh, a little bit of everything, I reckon. What yeah. is going on there? Jay, there's a little, can... bit of, little bit of players being out of form. A little bit of discohesion within the squad, a little bit of trepidation that they're not playing or that they're playing without their best player. You know, a little bit of everything it's out. And I get that there's no Latrell, there's no Cam Murray. I get that. But we see every other team at least looks somewhat better when there's two big plays out. But I think the question mark that has to be said is if South Sydney are a two man show, what happens if one of them goes for the year? Well, I mean we got the so blueprint of what happened. It's diabolical. And, you know, it makes you wonder, you know, would an experienced halfback to have a foil next to Cody Walker, <laughs> would having that experienced halfback that they can fall back on help that situation? You're saying that with a smile on your face. Like they did this weekend, like they did last weekend. You are saying that with the biggest grin on your face, aren't you? Oh, I 100% am. <laughs> 100%. I, I don't know what's going on there, but I want to question the decision to take the game to Dubbo. Last year, you go there and get put to the sword by Penrith. We come back this year, going up against the Canberra team, notorious for choking, and they got obliterated. Josh Papali'i was very impressive in game 250. We questioned their pack a few weeks ago, and their pack is just improving week after week after week against Formidable size, it has to be said. And I had to hold my tongue when we questioned their pack because I was ready to really rip into Papali because I thought he'd been really poor the start of the season. But I held my tongue knowing that he always likes to do well around origin time. And I'm happy because otherwise freezing cold takes would be on my ass. <laughs> uh, and I rolled sweet tw- tweets before unfortunate events. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, like Hucks. Last three weeks, Papa Lee has been awesome. He has been the rock that Canberra have built on so many times in the last few seasons. It's happened again. And yeah, I mean, he is obviously going to be a walk into the Queensland side, whether it's in the starting pack or off the bench. I'm not sure yet. But yeah, he is back in a big, big way. And he always loves a beat pie against South. It's great to see you back another one this weekend. 250th game, I might add two very emotional scenes post-game. He's someone who just loves the Canberra Raiders Football Club. You know, we've seen it so many times, players come down there, guys like Alan Tung, Terry Campisi, just never want to leave. And Papa Lee is another one, another one of them. There's cult-like heroes. Like, you look at blokes in there in the past, Ash Gilbert, Sam Bacco, for instance, very much the same, known Andrew Kerr as well. Yep, even, modern example, Jared Croker. Both oh, Crokers, Jason Croker too. Okay. There's one elephant in the room I want to address though with South Sydney. Ready? Let's go. I bag the Roosters when we complete poorly, but somehow South Sydney have a worse completion rate than the Roosters. Oh, Jesus Christ. Mic drop moment. 
And the Roosters Jeez. actually did a rare thing and completed above 76% against Penrith. That's why they lost. <laughs> we completed, where was it? We completed at 80%. That's a miracle. Is it a miracle when you complete 80% but only put 12 points on the board? We're up against the best defense in the league. That's all I'm saying. My, my points the stands. How much did you get put on by Penrith again? You got put 40 Shut on Shut the fuck up. Exactly. <laughs> you don't like the improved job. You've already had to apologize hey, once. Hey, 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 hey. First game with Reynolds and Gamble half partnership, okay? Or second game with Reynolds and Gamble half partnership. You know, we just had to hit our straps a little bit. Now we can play Penrith again this week or next time. We might only concede 38. <laughs> I'm going to keep it real. I'm going to keep it real. Panthers are a class above us. Yeah, same here. I'm, I was willing to admit that pre-game and post-game. Um, Titans v Sharks now. Sharks 25 defeating the Titans 18. Lockie Miller, welcome to the NRL, my friend. Absolutely dynamic performance. Well, I said it in a tweet. That try he scored. You know who that reminded me of? Nathan Gardner. Nathan Gardner. The little legend who was part of those really dark times for the Sharks. The light in the, at the end of the tunnel. Who I didn't make it to the him. end of the tunnel, unfortunately. Um, I loved Nathan Gardner. Despite the length really of the field try he scored against us. That's what I was sort of referencing. That sort of moment where they just pick it up, put their heads up, and the Red Seas part. He's a, he's a really dynamic player, Lockie Miller. But he is. I think he has a place in the Sharks squad. I don't know. Will Kennedy, yeah, people were calling him a really improved fullback start of the season. Now you've got to question it. when he comes back from his suspension, does he get back into the squad? I think Will yeah. Kennedy will go back to fullback. Lockie Miller will probably slip into the 14 spot. He'll replace Braden Trindle. There's no doubting that. The Sharks attack... Either way, either way, Trindle's out of the squad. He's day loved. I think the Sharks' attack has been lacking in the last two weeks. Kennedy's out. They'll get him back against the Roosters. There'll be some improvement there, no doubting about that. But I think that long-term, that, that, that's a problem for the Sharks, their slow starts. Um, all things considering for the Titans, I thought they were okay. Apart from that early second-half blitz, they were competitive. Jared Wallace grabbed a double, so... <laughs> Jared Wallace grabbing a double. A double cheeseburger or two tries? Two tries, my friend. That's surprising. <laughs> Isan Master scored too. Uh, the the rare try scorers were coming out, and Asako <laughs> kicked a hundred percent too. Um, you can hear me chuckling about the last one. Um, but yeah, look, the Titans just have to play eighty minutes. Yeah, they do, and that's a problem they're, that's they're three and eight. They're three the and eight. Administration. Let's be real. Four more losses. And they're they gone. can kiss their finals hopes goodbye. Let's take a look at their upcoming schedule, actually. Let's let's do that. Let's have a let's have a gaze at their upcoming schedule, hey? Well, they got a tough one this week. Yeah. It doesn't get any easier. They take on the Broncos. And the they're, Cowboys then next week. Then they've got Cowboys, Souths, Sharks. The Sharks again. <laughs> they could be out of files contention by round fifteen. That's a rough month leading into Origin too. They could and be the, out of contention for round 15. Jeez. I give them a chance in the in the Cowboys game because the Cowboys are going to get smacked by Origin. Not really. They're still going to have Tamalolo. They're still going to have both. Tamalolo's injured. He'll be back by then. They're and actually going to miss one week. You reckon? Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Okay, so I've got... I'm, this might be a bit of a spoiler, but I've got 
and I've also got Kyle Feldner as well. So I've got Holmes, Hammer, Cotter, and Nanai gone. As far as their origin team's concerned, uh, they still I... keep intact their halves. Personally, I think the only ones they're going to lose now are Holmes and Cotter. I think Hammer and Nanai will both not get picked. So I mean, in terms of the squad, I think in terms they're probably going to name what a twenty-man squad. Yeah, but you got to remember, Origin One, they don't name players on the reserves from teams that are playing. Oh, that's so, right. Then they pick them up afterwards, don't they? Yeah, they'll name like guys like you know they'll name a bunch of Broncos players in the reserves. I think guys like Flegler will end up in the reserves, even though they don't. Cotter, Cobo, you mean? Yeah, it'll be, squad. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And of course, a reminder that upcoming on the league scene, a special Origin preview on Thursday, which should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it will be for sure. Okay, Graham Manersley's briefing time now. This is the fun part of my week where I sit down for all of our listeners and listen to Graham Annersley ramble on for an hour. Things I do for this podcast, Reese. You're a miracle worker, AJ. So let's just clarify what we're going to be going through again. Of course, if you want to read through the notes that I do, go check me out at AJ Luke Antonio on Twitter, and I upload this every Monday upon the conclusion of the briefing. This week, we've got a lot of bunker talk this week. Annersley wanted to focus on Keyword here and clarify the bunker process. With me so far? Uh, yeah, I mean, isn't this like the third time he's already had to do that this season? The issue of bunker checks after tries is scored. Annesley clarified the process. The refs only refer it if it is a no try. There is confusion about the process when the try is initially given on field. The bunker begin a review as soon as the try has been awarded on field by the referee, not when they blow time off and signal the little box thingy. They flag the issue in the time between them and the time between the ref calls time off. The reason why they announce it is so the crowd, players, and everyone for transparency and clarity. I thought that was obvious. To some people, it wasn't. Notably, Joey. (sighs) Come on. This guy wanted to be a coach for the World Cup, and he can't even understand how the bunker works. uh, How how the bunker works. Like, come on. Okay, incident one: Knights v Broncos. The Selwyn Cobo try. Reese, gear up for this one because we've got a a lot of technical stuff to rule here. Yeehaw! Tomorrow, Martin catches ball on the inside of Jordan Ricky. Ricky has been identified as a support player runner as Clune marks up to attempt to tackle him. The bunker has made a technical decision here as Martin releases the ball before he ran behind Ricky, which doesn't constitute obstruction. The technicality is he has to have he has to have the ball and run behind the lead runner to constitute obstruction. Annesley understands both decisions, both try and no try, and doesn't consider it a howler. Obstruction is generally a judgment call by the officials. Indicators of obstruction have made the process easier as we highlighted a fortnight ago on the league scene. Yeah, I think a simple um, idea would be for it to constitute an obstruction, the ball carrier must take the ball from the outside of a lead, sorry, from the inside shoulder of a lead runner to the outside shoulder of a lead runner. Mm-hmm. Because Tamari Martin passed the ball before he got to the outside shoulder, as a result, it's not an obstruction. It's just a decoy. Yeah. It's interesting, though, that they ruled Jordan Ricky as a support player there and not a lead runner. 
It is, but at the same time, it's not because... You understand it. The lead runner was when Tamara made the catch. He has then thrown the pass behind the back of Ricky. So it wasn't as though he's throwing the pass, Ricky's running a decoy in that moment. Ricky had already run the decoy. Yeah. It's not the howl that everyone's making out to be. I think there's been some poor commentary about that this week. To be fair, the the it was only a howler because people thought it cost Newcastle the game. Uh, That's what BKR Sport did. <laughs> yeah, even though realistically, Newcastle cost themselves the game by making sixteen errors. So, and Phoenix Crossland re- reenacting his St Dominic's College performance. Yes. <laughs> I was wondering if one of us would make a reference to that this week. Incident two: Knights v Broncos. Dane Gagai no try. Annesley says we look at it in freeze frame due to the high-definition technology where we examine frame by frame where opinions are generated based on the angles available. That's because there's been a lot of comment about why we look at things in freeze frame, which I completely agree with. I think if you look at it in fast motion, you miss the little knock-ons. You miss X, Y, and Z. Not Can I go on right. a quick rant here? Go ahead. I think the most stupid discourse in sport is people, and this is in all sports, not just NRL. This is in NBA, NFL, soccer. The stupidest discourse is people who turn around and say, oh, slow-mo is ruining the sport because now we're picking up on every mistake. (laughs) Wow. No fucking shit. Really? (laughs) You, You are surprised that we're picking up on mistakes, whereas in the past we've had players go out of bounds and still be awarded tries. You want to go back to those days? Have every mistake put on a, on a microscope post-game as something that could cost the team a win? Now let's pick the dip into the bud, call the mistakes early. You know, this is game-breaking technology, and you're sitting here going, oh, but, you know, it's not like the old days. Yeah, no shit. I don't want the old days. You Would know? you rather the correct decision or the incorrect decision? Exactly. Thank you very much, AJ. Now, the point about Dane Gagai is no try. Gagai loses possession and fails to fully re-grip the ball. He grips the ball as it hits the ground, which constitutes a knock-on, and thus is a correct decision by the bunker. Now, I don't get why people are blowing up about this. If Gagai re-gripped the ball before it touches the ground, there's no problem. Yeah, I mean, I think it's people mad that they changed the rules around grounding. You know, people wanted to go back to the days of torso grounding, I think. Oh, God, um, could you imagine the torso grounding? Lachlan Ilias would have been given a try at Magic Ground for that slips catch. Exactly. Um, look, personally, I have no issues with the change of the rule. I think you have to make the grounding process clear. At the end of the day, it's the same with the strip rule when a player is trying to try, try the ball. Grounding is constituted as a loose carry. Yeah. So if you're grounding and you lose control of the ball, it has to be considered a knock-on. Regardless it does. of whether you put your hand on it before it's grounded or not. Hundred percent. Now, incident three of the night of the Manly uh, Parramatta game, the Christian Tui Pilotu high shot. This has created uh, an enormous amount of comment. Believe it or not, Reese. Yep, it has, and we're going to have a little bit of a game to play with our listeners at the conclusion of this one because we've got some stat lines that we want to have a go through. So, the bunker confirmed the high contact by the Manly winger. All sorts of claims have been made about the tackle but there are angles that support their clear head-high contact. The mitigating factor is that Heron slipped, but it is still a high tackle. We see every week players that are penalties which see players placed on reporter in the sim bin. Just because the match review panel doesn't make place a charge doesn't mean nothing happened. 
yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, rugby union in a way. Rugby union, they have this massive flow chart for Sid bids and send-offs. The mitigating factor like, one. The mitigating factors was the player slipping, you know? Yeah. It's the same with NRL, you know? Two Apollo slipping, or sorry, uh, two Apollo going into the tackle with the player slipping made it clear it couldn't be a Sid bid because there's that massive mitigating factor there. Yeah. But a penalty is still a penalty. You know? It's still penalty sufficient, in my view. It, it had to be penalty sufficient. So, you know, you can't turn around and go, oh, but he was slipping down. How could that be a penalty? If you make high contact, it's a penalty, no matter whether the player is slipping down, lying on the ground, or standing upright. 100%. Okay, so we've had 147 high tackle penalties this year. That's a rather large amount which is a bit of a surprise to me we've, we've had that many. But we're going to play a game with our listeners here. To be fair, though, actually, to be fair, that's not even 14 per round. Yeah, but I want to play when a game with our listeners. Not gonna... even 14 per round. People act like there's 15 per game. Yeah, I want to play a game with our listeners. I'm taking on Reese's advice from a few weeks ago. I found the challenge music or something similar. <laughs> Have a guess of the 147... High tackle penalties. How many have been placed on report? Time up. <laughs> We've had 28. Yeah, that's, I'm sure a lot of people got that wrong. Now, out of those 28, how many do you think resulted in charges? We had 19. 19 charges. 19 charges. It's consistent. Now, last game. Last go. How many do you think were simbined? Seven. So it's not ruining the game at all, these high tackles. No, it is not. Did you like the music there, my friend? It was beautiful. All the tears <laughs> in my eye. The, the flashbacks are real. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's the second flashback today. Jeez. Second. Okay. Annesley dismissed the motion of evening up penalty counts to make matches even, dismissing the media notion that this was the case. Now, there's been all sorts of comments about, oh, the bunker being taken out means that they miss stuff. And Annesley confirmed that we've had 150 challenges this year. 73 have been successful. 69 have been unsuccessful. Nice. And eight have been inconclusive. So technically, we've had 73 incorrect decisions this year that have been overturned because of the bunker. Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that there's been more captain's challenges this year than there have been penalties for high tackles. So, by by the motion of three, still, that's a fair. That's actually an interesting one. That's actually an interesting one. And Corey Horsburgh's unsuccessful challenge of all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't laugh because my throat is that bad. Jeez, 
I had to put that in there. We had to go all the way back to earlier this year. <laughs> I'm smart too. Realistically, it should never be 149 challenges, but Corey Horsburgh exists. Well, there was that Canberra one from last week too, to be fair. True. Okay, last incident. Uh, the independent doctor, Tane Milne, ruled out the game with a Cat 1 concussion symptom. Now, Graham Annesley says his head clearly hits the turf with a high degree of force and he stumbled back to the defensive line. Clearly stumbling to the line. Remember our Cat 1 symptoms from a few weeks ago, Reese. I'll just get them up for our listeners once more. Yep, easy. So our Category 1 symptoms are lying motionless, motor in coordination, that includes balance disturbance and ataxia, an impact seizure, tonic posturing, lack of protection, act, lack of protective action in falling to the ground, or a blank and vacant look. That is what the independent doctor is looking for when assessing here. The independent doctor is looking for those symptoms for a player that has suffered a head injury, and they d- decide on based on what they see. Tane Milne also failed his HIA. And he also went on to say that we can't be led by non-medically trained people or by what the player says himself. Yeah. That, there's not much discourse there, I think. You know, it's pretty clear that the independent doctor made the decision based on what was available and made the correct decision. So, 100%. All right, Reese, it is time for our low cow of the week. <laughs> this week's goes to... I'm surprised he hasn't been on this list yet, but Benny Elias. Oh, really? For his magic round take that it should be worth double points and played at the end of the season. <laughs> Benny, I think the CTE is starting to showcase, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that is the stupidest take of the season by far, beating BKR Sport by a fingernail. But that is why you are this week's Lol Cow of the Week. Oh, I love it. What about you, my friend? What have you got for us? We're going to NRL again. Oh, we got double. You know, there was F1 this oh, today. It was a damn good race, but there weren't any Lol Cows. So I need to find NRL. the music because, you know, getting both NRL is very, very rare. Yes. You know what that means, right? You know what that means, my friend? What does it mean, AJ? It is time for our Daily Double. Yes. <laughs> All right. But this, is a, this is a good one. So, Phil Gould was oh. watching the... No, it's not a Phil Gould one. All right. But I need to put some context behind it. Okay. So, Phil Gould uh, was watching the Raiders Rabbitohs game. You know, as he does. He loves his footy. Um, and he decided to put out a tweet after Xavier Savage had scored his try. Welcome, Xavier Savage. You know, welcome to the NRL. Just field goal type tweet. A Facebook Bulldogs news page called Bulldogs for Life immediately put out a post using Gould's tweet as a basis. Breaking news. Bulldogs have signed Xavier Savage. So, Bulldogs for Life, congratulations. This is your low cow moment. <laughs> okay, um, before we go, Reese, 
bold prediction for Indigenous round, my friend. Indigenous round, it's obviously a very good round for the NRL. Um, but if you want my bold prediction, and I'm going to go big, I'm going to go bold here. I'm listening. Selwyn Cobo, yeah, Indigenous player, Indigenous round, going up against that weak edge defense of the Titans. Yeah. Four tries. Four? We're going big and bold here. Four tries. Ties the Broncos' record. Is that record held by Renov? Renov, sorry? Oh, Renov has about five of them. Dakir, uh, I think, has one against the Northern Eagles. Um, hang on a second. Let me pull it up because I know also Izzy Folau did it once. Kempi? Kempi did it once. Uh, Corey Oates has done it once. Corey Oates, wasn't that against South? No, it was the Manly game, the last game of the 2018 regular season. Oh, that's right. Uh, let me pull it up quickly. There'd be a few that'd be on that list. Yeah, so Renov has done it one, two, three, four, five times. Wow. Uh, Wendell Saylor did it once. Carmichael Hunt did it once. Justin Hodges did it once. Dennett Kemp did it once. Israel Folau did it once. And Corey Oates did it once. Uh, coincidentally, Folau's one also came against the Titans. Almost, almost 13 years to the day. May 15th, 2009. I thought he did it in the final where you guys won 40 to 32. No, he had a hat trick that time. Ah, that's right. My apologies. Do you want to know what my bowl prediction is, my friend? Go ahead. The dogs are back at Belmore this week. Mm-hmm. Back at their spiritual home. And I think that they, the first full week where Mick Potter's around the club, he gets him the win. Oh, I love that. I just think Belmore is their home. They love it there. It's a really good opportunity for them to... They showed really good signs, I thought, this week, but now's the week to take it to the next level. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Bulldogs always love to lift in Belmore. Uh, obviously, you go back to that one time where Brock Lamb had that shocking penalty goal attempt. Um, that's, <laughs> that's always the memory that sticks out to me about Belmore. Um, but yeah, they love to lift for these games of Belmore. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them go against the Dragons. Exactly um, right. Win. Exactly right, my yeah. friend. But anyway, that will wrap it up for the league scenes review of round 11. A special reminder, we'll be back later this week with our special origin prediction edition of the league scene. I'm AJ Luke Antonio. Big thanks to Reese Sullivan as always. Yeah, thank you for having me and can't wait to do this again this week. I'll have to actually make the squad, of course. I can't just go in here all guns are blazing. Um, <laughs> picking off memory because I'll definitely leave someone out and I'll get some angry comments on Twitter. So don't want that. Indeed. And we'll see you next week for another edition.